The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. Good morning, everybody. This is Good Morning New York, and it is Tuesday, October 27th, and I am your host, Vince Rocco, with a very bad cold today, so please forgive my voice. Also, we are not at Blast Off Productions today. We're on location in the blue offices, trying something a little different today. But it is my pleasure to be with you, and we are still live. My guest today is Jeff Appel. Jeff has been a guest on this program in the past, and I'm happy to have him back. He is sales director at the Appel de Simone Group at Everbank. The Appel de Simone Group is one of the most experienced and reliable leading lending teams Excuse me, in New York. They have a keen focus on new developments, condos, co-ops, and multifamily financing. Everbank has streamlined the building approval process, which is very important here in New York City. They can offer interest-only payment options, piggyback structures, which I want to ask about because I'm not quite sure about that, and flexible array of home equity products. We will talk about banking and the new development boom, but first, let's get to some news items. All right, the New York Mets swept their way into the franchise's first World Series in 15 years, and City Field bondholders are cheering along with the team's fans. Riding on this season's playoff run, the team projects total 2016 attendance will rise by 500,000 to 3.1 million, generating an additional $25 million in revenue, according to a person familiar with the estimate. That's on top of a 20% attendance increase this year. When the 42,000-seat City Field opened in 2009, the team projected an average attendance of about 37,000 in 2013, according to a bond offering statement. Instead, the Mets sold an average of 26,366 tickets per game that year, falling short of their projections. Last year, the Mets' sixth losing season turnout averaged 26,528 fans per game, all good news for the franchise and City Field, and congratulations to the New York Mets. Congratulations. Again. Oh, yeah. New Yorkers who want to buy a high-end retreat in the Hamptons have plenty of options to choose from. Sales of luxury homes in the area known for its beachside mansions, attracting financiers and celebrities, tumbled 16% in the third quarter from a year earlier to 52 transactions. This, according to a report from appraisal appraiser company Miller Samuel, and brokerage Douglas Elliman. The inventory of such properties defined as the top 10% of the market by price climbed 34% to 292. Wealthy buyers on Long Island's East End are taking a pause after several years of heated sales, leading prices to leading prices to fall as more houses come to the market. The median price of Hamptons deals completed at the luxury level dropped 18% from a year earlier to $5.3 million. In contrast, to an increase for lower-cost homes. Quite a volatile market these days. Mm. Not everyone in New York City's restaurant industry is eager to adopt the ban on tipping that one of its stars, Danny Meyer, will institute in 13 of his establishments starting in late November. Get this. Included is the Modern, Union Square Cafe, Gramercy Tavern, 
and the others will come in next year. No doubt some restaurateurs are hoping it doesn't pressure them to change as well. If nothing else, Meyer deserves credit for innovation, not to mention bravery. He expects to raise prices on his menus by 21 to 25% to cover the tips. The increases mm. should allow him to pay his tipped employees at least as much as they earn now, while better compensating the indispensable back-of-the-house staff whom diners never see. Wow. Stuyvesant Town, Peter Cooper Village, the largest apartment complex in Manhattan, is expected to be sold for more than $5.3 billion, an agreement that will preserve nearly half the 11,232-unit complex for middle-class families, according to officials involved in this negotiation. The sale to the Blackstone Group, a Wall Street investment firm, and one of the country's largest landlords includes an unusual regulatory agreement with the administration of Mayor Bill de Blasio that would ensure that a block of 5,000 apartments would be affordable for the next 20 years for families of teachers, construction workers, firefighters, and others who have traditionally made their homes at Stuyvesant Town. And the chief executive of T-Mobile, John Legree, paid $18 million for a palatial duplex penthouse once occupied by William Randolph Hearst. The apartment has a wraparound terrace overlooking Central Park, intricate woodwork, and stained glass windows throughout. The transaction was one of the most expensive closed sales of the week, according to City Records. The priciest sale uh, was a three-bedroom, three-and-a-half-bath sky apartment high on the 58th floor of 157 West 57th Street, and that sold north of $24.5 million. I'll take one of those. Uh Uh-huh. Absolutely. Anyway, as I mentioned at the top of the program, we have Jeff Appel, Appel here today. I can't speak either. But it's this okay. Call. I have a broad appeal. Good. <laughs> that you do. And a good lapel. <laughs> good morning, and thank you for coming good back morning. with us today. It's great to be here. So let's get right to it. A mortgage applicant with a high level of debt relative to income is not an appealing risk for lenders. Therefore, first-time homebuyers should ensure their debt-to-income ratio is within acceptable limits if they are counting on a quick approval. Can you explain to our listening audience why a borrower's debt-to-income ratio is one of the most critical factors in the loan review process? I mean, we always come back to this, but it is really important. Well, I mean, it, it's at the base of, of uh, the buyer, potential buyer owner's ability to repay. And, uh, you know, we look at ability to repay, willingness to repay, repayment history in the past, and, of course, cash on hand in the event something interrupts your ability to pay. But it's interesting in that question, it said, or, or leading up to that question, it said a buyer or borrower should ensure that their debt-to-income ratio is not too high. The fact is your debt-to-income ratio is what it is, right? You mm-hmm. make what you make, and your expenses are what they are. So it's interesting to me that we've heard a lot about how tight the mortgage market has become and how difficult it is now to qualify for a mortgage. And, and I think the truth is you do have to qualify for a mortgage now. I do think that the standards are actually fairly liberal. So if you look under, uh, under Dodd-Frank Dodd- and the current QM environment that we're in, qualified mortgage environment, which uh, uh, limits the debt-to-income ratio at 43%, um, although you can still, in some instances, get a loan that goes to one of the agencies, Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, that's up to 49%. Wow. Mm. Even at 43%, that takes into account your housing costs and basically anything reported on your credit report, plus your taxes, of course, and insurance on the home. Now, think about 43% of, uh, of a, a buyer's income. That's gross income before taxes. 
Um, it doesn't leave that much. And I think that there are things that it obviously is fairly inaccurate about forecasting. For instance, we take your car payment if you have a finance car into account, right. but we don't take your automobile insurance into account. We don't take into account your children's child care expenses if they have a private school tuition. What your dry cleaning bills are, what your grocery bills are, what your home utility bills are. So um, I think that uh, what debt to income looks to is ability to repay. And I think that buyers need to be very sober. And I think, by the way, they are today much more than they have been in the past, very sober about making sure that the obligation they're about to take on is going to be everything they hoped it would be, which is a way to build their wealth, a way to own their home and create their family home, but not something that creates a tremendous amount of stress and leaves them mm-hmm. short in a lot of areas of their life. And you know, with that said, a lot of the co-ops in this city look at a debt-to-income ratio, you know, twenty-five percent or twenty-eight percent or less. Correct. So it's it's kind of a conflicted. Well, when I started in the mortgage business years ago, yeah. <laughs> uh, was that clear? Uh-huh. Um, when I started, uh, we used to use a front and a back end ratio. We and and some lenders still apply this. What is the housing cost, and then what is the cost of everything else on right. top of it? And it used to be twenty eight. Yeah, thirty six. So we're still mm. looking at a at a much more liberal way of looking at a buyer's ability to repay. All right. So with that said, moving on, everybody knows how important credit scores are. So debt mm. to income is is one element. Now credit scores for obtaining a home mortgage. But are lenders lately paying a playing a numbers game with the consumers claiming that they are willing to accept lower scores while actually approving applicants with higher scores on average? than they did last year or even earlier this year. This seems important for people who want to buy a home but don't have stellar credit scores. But what are the real facts here, Jeff? I mean, well, I mean, the real facts around what? Around how, why your credit score is suffering or not suffering, what your credit score does for you. Look, the credit score is indicative of willingness to repay. So for all the reasons that we talked about in the last question, which is we can't anticipate every cost, the fact is how has the buyer, borrower handled their finances in the past? So it is definitely relevant. I think that credit scores take a lot of heat and get a, a bum rap because there are some inaccuracies and there are some errors that take place. And it is fairly one-sided. Mm-hmm. The, the creditor can put things on your credit record but to get them off or challenge them is very difficult. Right. But most times, I think the truth is you missed a payment or you had a tight period where it was difficult to meet, meet your obligations. Bottom line, credit scores are here to stay. They're only going to become more enhanced in the future, and they're going to look at more things in the future. And it, it really goes to what is the likelihood willingness that you're going to repay. And I think that for the most part, it serves both the lender and the b- borrower well. Um, so uh, with that said, global investments in real estate reach its highest level since 2007. You know, we've got a lot of people coming from foreign lands, a lot of domestic people. Mm. New York City was by far the biggest market, attracting $40.1 billion in investments over the first two quarters. Isn't that shocking? It, it, it's, it's great. It's unbelievable. But let me ask you something. Based on, you know, financing, how much of this do you think has been financed and how much do you think of it is all cash. Well, uh, I mean, that particular, looking at that particular uh, market, it's difficult to tell you accurately, but we can't, I can tell you that in New York City, less than 50% of the transactions are 
finance, less than 50%. Right. And um, I, I think that that speaks to all the, the things that you brought up. A lot of foreign investment where they're really looking for a place to park money where it's safe, keep their powder dry uh, for a later day. And there just is a lot of um, cash around because the yield on alternative investments is, you know, if you get a yield, it's because you're taking on a lot of risk. Anything fairly safe and fairly secure isn't paying much. And so uh, we see a lot of buyers coming in with a lot of cash. Even those transactions that are financed are financed at much lower leverage than I've ever seen before in being in the business. Well, I'm so curious about one thing, if I may. Do you have any idea how much of that is domestic? That you 50%, mean what, yeah. Well, uh, the, cash the, versus finance. I can tell you that the vast majority of the finance transactions are domestic. Right. I was and, just doing that for our listening audience. Right. The vast a, majority of the finance transactions are domestic, but there are some lenders out there that will work with uh, you know, uh, foreign buyers who are not here on any to, uh, permanent visa or mm-hmm. that's uh, who happening are not more and more. Here. I don't know that it's it it uh, it's happening with a certain subset of international banks where the client is a, a client of the bank in the country that they came from. Yeah. Uh, quick question on that note. So, how many people uh, pay all cash? Because a lot of people ask me this as an agent: pay all cash for a deal and then come back and finance. That's afterwards. a great question, and because that's important. That's a, that's a very good question, and this is for our for we're, we're going to answer it two ways. We're going to answer it for our Manhattan. Audience, and we're going to answer it for everybody else. Uh, so, for everybody else, uh, there is a term called a technical refinance, which allows you to finance on essentially the same terms as if you had taken the the loan at the closing. Right. And uh, banks offer this between three and six, you have between three and six months, depending on the lender, to do this technical refinance. Now, the tricky part about a New York City Manhattan buyer, particularly one who's buying in a co-op is I get this all the time. We're just going to close quickly because the seller wants a fast deal and wants a cash deal, and then we're going to take the money out after. Mm-hmm. And I just caution, uh, I caution buyers out there, be sure that the co-op board understands right. that that's your intent because they can turn you down. Absolutely. So the truth is, in thinking about your strategy, are you really a cash buyer if part of your offer depends on the co-op board permitting you to finance after the closing? I actually think it's smarter to get the loan done in the stream of the transaction because I think the co-op board is more reticent to approve something in the future that they haven't seen yet than something that's in front of them at the time. Uh, I absolutely agree. All right, we have to take a break. But first, you are listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. Don't go away. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at bluerealtygroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. 
the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, real estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody. We are back with Jeff Appel, and we're talking... Mortgages and financing, uh, switching gears a little bit, Manhattan's luxury market shook off its late summer and early fall doldrums with a whopping 31 contract signed last week for properties $4 million and up. What do you think is driving this, and is this typical of this time of the year? You and I chatted a little bit uh, before the show about the fall market. What's driving this? I mean, that's an awful lot of contracts over four million dollars. Well, we got a lot. We've got an awful lot of properties available for sale in that subset of the upper end of the market. Yeah. But what's right. driving it is, I think that uh, there's still plenty of pent up demand. Folks waiting to see what else is coming. Yeah. And um, and pouncing as soon as they see something that looks attractive. You know, it's very interesting, and and we've talked about this before, but this market is very small. I mean, we, we hear, well, there's 12,000 apartments coming on the market between 2015 and 2016, and that's the biggest number since 2007, and et cetera, right. et cetera, and how deep is the bench? Well, the bench is real deep. Ah. You know, we're looking at a world bench yeah. of ultra uh-huh. high-end buyers, and the truth is, I believe that all this inventory gets absorbed. Um, it will be absorbed more slowly. If you look at 157, for instance, the building that you told was the highest sale last right. week, that building has been marketed consistently for five years. Yeah. And that building is still almost 30% unsold. Yeah. But the developer is not cutting prices. In fact, they're resetting prices to market. Right. That's what that developer does. Well, yeah, he does do we that. We could but, talk all about Gary Barnett. But, but there's but nothing a, wrong with that. No. He's, he's he's timing the market and he's t- strategically. I, I think he's he's pretty brilliant when he when yeah. he does that. He he's clearly not in a rush to move inventory. He'll sell it when he sells it at the price he wants to pay for it. Well, and that's the beauty of of high end of of the high end market. Yeah. There's enough margin in those projects and developments yep. to not need to sell under pressure. So, right. I, I think that uh, that. That uptick in in uh, the four million plus market, which by the way is not the high end of the market yeah. any longer in New York, where the average sales price is one, nearly one point nine million dollars. Yeah. Um, I think that that's uh, that's what I think that's terrific, and what I would expect to see. Yeah, it's almost that uh, wonderful time of the year for a subset of New Yorkers' bonus season. Okay, mm-hmm. and that on the heels of this last conversation, and while it may sound enviable for city dwellers with salaries that are largely bonus based, renting or buying an apartment presents its own set of challenges. So, if you don't have a steady salary and you get big bonuses or just bonuses, real estate agents just commissions. Mm-hmm. Why is this challenging in the mortgage uh, financing process? Well, it, it's um, again, we'll go back to that means people still have to borrow money to to buy a home or sure. Sure they do. Well, well. So first of all, I think it's it's pretty well known that uh, commission earners, independent small business owners, um, they report their income differently than folks who have a salary and a bonus for that for that right. matter. And they usually report their income on what's called a C schedule or a Schedule C on their tax return, and they show their gross income, and then they show their legitimate business expenses, and you end up with a net. Well, lenders work off that net income, not the gross. Not the gross. 
So um, in that regard, it is challenging because sometimes, uh, I mean, you, the old saying is it takes money to make money. Yeah. So a lot of times we see a very, very high gross and we see a very, very low net. And then you add on to that, we need a two-year average of this income. Yeah. It can't mm-hmm. just be one year. Yeah. So it is, it is more challenging. But I think that uh, what you went back to say about bonuses, and I think it's very interesting, and a big change that we're seeing around the bonus earners are, you know, cash bonuses are unicorns yeah. these days. Most bonuses now are structured in a way to, A, pay the money over time, and B, yeah. keep you in your seat. So you can't no longer get a big bonus check shop yourself to market, and leave and go to another firm. You give up part of your bonus these days. So what bonus season does now is it speaks to the confidence of the buyer. If that buyer knows, look, I had a great year. This is what I'm, you know, I have ahead of me. Gives them more confidence. Confidence is great for our market. Absolutely. Let's move on to developments because you've got a pretty well-rounded background, Jeff. As New York faces residential development boom this year, you know, since 2007, they're saying the best ever. There is pressure on developers to both accommodate the growing population, but to also maintain the city's historical culture and, and history. Many native New Yorkers feel that the face and soul of our city is disappearing. I'm going to be moderating a panel in, in mid-November with a bunch of developers to talk just this topic. But what are the challenges for developers these days in designing buildings that fit in Manhattan or should best fit in Manhattan? Well, I mean, it's a uh, big, big I mean the challenge is uh, you have to produce a product that the, that the buyers want. Correct. And some buyers want beautiful, historic, beautifully renovated pre-war buildings, <coughs> and some buyers want glass curtain walls, and that's just the way it is. The challenge is um, the land prices, site prices, let's get rid of land prices, site prices are astronomically high. Hard costs, construction costs, yeah. and marketing costs are extraordinarily high. So the only way really to, to pencil out a development that makes sense is it needs to be at the upper end of the market. It needs mm-hmm. to be where there's enough margin to take the risk. And so uh, what you talked about before, which I think is beautiful, that this Stytown purchase is now preserving 5,000 units. I think that really speaks to, you know, there's the, the mayor's taken a lot of heat, and I'm going to keep this away from the political arena and, uh, because I don't want to debate that with you and you don't want to debate it with me. <laughs> but the bottom line is, is that that just proves that the private sector and developers and city, uh, you know, the current government can come together uh, and create consensus that makes sense. And so I don't know now that the, uh, the abatement programs have, are, are essentially over. I don't know what developers can do. They can't build units that are affordable and make a profit. It doesn't work. It just simply doesn't work. And I asked this question to a very esteemed panel recently, and I said, you know, what do we do for these very well, these, these hardworking, highly successful, productive people that want to buy a home for their, their family? And what Manhattan? did they say? How can you build, you know, I'm asking for $2 million apartments. Yeah. And their answer was, we can't. <gasps> But see, that's part of the problem, and that's that's part of the challenge. But I mean, at the end of the day, so I say, who are the buyers? You know, the regular, run-of-the-mill New Yorker who wants to buy a, a family apartment, a two, three-bedroom apartment. I mean, can they really afford to do that? No, no, I mean, they can't. Not even no, Washington Heights or Queens. I mean, it's not going to be. No, but uh, you know, 
look, everything is a continuum and everything changes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's just a fact of life. And I think that those that are afraid of the culture of New York changing need to double down on their commitment to making sure that they remain part of New York. Now, look, I live in Montclair, New Jersey, and I consider myself a New Yorker and, and, and a, a, a Montclairian. But that's because I spend a lot of my time in New York City. I work in New York City. I mm-hmm. interact professionally and personally in New York mm-hmm. City. And I love New York City. Yeah. And I feel like I contribute to keeping alive what New York City is about. So whether, whether you sleep, put your head down at night in an apartment where you want to be, or you may be in an outer borough, keep New York your home. Right. And, uh, and I think we don't have to worry about it evaporating. I think I agree with you, and I think that's a challenge with some people when they're trying to decide a debate. And I obviously have customers, you know, moving in into the city from the burbs out of the city to raise family. You know, and the question always is, you know, but I really like New York. How do I stay here and afford to be here? And sometimes they can't. And so to do what you do, do everything here in Manhattan, love the city, uh, entertain, work. It becomes your home. You just go home and sleep uh, elsewhere. Yeah, I've I get done two that before. Homes. You have two mm-hmm. homes. So, you know, the other controversy with developments lately is, you know, these tall sliver skyscrapers, you know, people say, people complain, how tall can these buildings get? I mean, I'm reading the other day in some research up to 2,000 feet in the air. Well, you know, and then people complain about shadows in Central Park from mm-hmm. some of the towers on 57th mm-hmm. Street. What is this really doing to the, to the face of the city? And I have to say, I've said this on the, on the air many times with, the, with my panel, I am a, a native New Yorker. I love the history. I love the the landmark aspect of you know keeping things the way they were. And then I turn around as a realtor and I look at these tall buildings. I get bugged by that. You know, I sell them and I can sell them extremely well, but I get bugged by these towers that just don't feel like they fit here. Mm. How I mean, how do we? You know, how much taller can they get, or are they going to get taller? Well, they're certainly not the tallest buildings in the world at this oh. point. And you know, Gary Barnett is what is it? Central Park Towers, Extel. They're going to build the tallest building in the Western Hemisphere. Something. It's yeah. about to come up. So he's, you know, I, I love tall buildings, and mm. I feel like these buildings are an expression of they are the 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 ability of us as human beings to reach. They are an expression into, I the, get, sky, into, into the, sky. the sky. So the I sky have is the limit. The sky's the limit. And so my view is, you know, I like to think about the Concorde and flying supersonic flight between New York and, yeah. and uh, London. And there were so many issues and complaints around it. And I got it. But I have to tell you, I flew that once in my life. And um, when it got grounded and it was no longer profitable for it to fly, mm-hmm. I felt real sad about it. I think that uh, I don't own what the city is going to manifest itself into. I don't think anyone does. And I think that it should be allowed, as it always has. New York has rebuilt itself time and time and time again. And these arguments about height and appropriateness and architectural style have been around since the jump in New York City? Absolutely, they have been. And I think we got to let it be what it's going to become. Oh, you know, Vince, I could say so much, and it's not the place. But I'm a true native New Yorker. And, you know, we do keep, I am all for progress. And everything exists that makes the whole. And New York City, in a very real sense, stayed almost the same for a very long time. 
the progress was slower. But if we go all the way back to history, there's just, you know, it costs the same amount of money to make a choice aesthetically one way or another. And so my, I personally wish there were more things going up where there was uh, a consideration for what it's replacing and what it's surrounded by. You know, and I also just now, since I got the mic for one second and I'll talk fast because it's, it's unfortunate that New Yorkers by and large, and even those that aren't for now are being absolutely priced out from owning property in their city. And that's the fact. So, you know, it's an emotional thing. It's a sad thing. It's an intelligent thing. It's a business thing. Everything makes up the whole and the whole is larger than the sum of its parts. But just from a native New Yorker, I'm bummed. All right, listen, we are out of time. We have to go to break. We are listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. Don't go away. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back, and our panel has uh, joined us. Jeff Appel is going to stick around for a little while. Uh, good morning, everybody. Good morning, Vince. Good morning. morning. In our little makeshift studio today, it's kind of crazy here, but we're making the best of it. Um, so how was everybody's weekend? Good. Amazing. How was yours, Vincent? It was uh, not too good. I was homesick for the weekend, but, you know, oh. struggling with a little bit of a cold. And I was going to ask for New York stories, and likely I will not get one. You're not going to get it from me this weekend, other right. than my living room and my big screen TV. Or right. taxi cab stories. <laughs> well, yeah. No taxi cab story. Well, I can always Yay. come up with a taxi cab story for sure. <laughs> All right, so let's get right to it. Autumn in New York, argu- arguably the best season to be in the city. And now that we are smack in the middle of New York's extreme season, summer and winter, I'd like to ask this question of each of you. Would you rather get rid of New York City summers or winters. I mean, I have gone back and forth on that question in my own lifetime, uh, liking summers, liking winters, liking summers, liking winters, whatever. What's the deal? What would you prefer to get rid of? Should we raise our hands for summer and winter? Let's do winter. I would get rid of winter. I don't know if, any, I don't know if the listeners can see the oh. hands. That's the yeah, problem. I say. Oh, yeah. Well, here they are in the middle. No, but winter. <laughs> <laughs> but winter with a caveat. Okay. 
because I love winter as soon as the clocks change and everything's dark. And because we live in, well, because we live in such small spaces, it's a feeling, at least to me, of coziness, of coming home. Then the holidays are right around the corner and you've got Thanksgiving, you've got all the December holidays and New York is great. But then the second week of January, I'm going to shoot myself. Yeah. So it's a... It's a mix there. Well, see, I well, kind of lump it all into Christmas. one thing. Well, Christmas, yeah, but I don't consider Christmas winter for some reason because it's like the start, as you just said. Mm-hmm. Well, but it is, but it's, but it's not. No, it's but it's not. Start. It's not dead February where the temperatures are minus five, and it's yeah. you know, I mean, once in a blue moon you get that. But I just want to get rid of winter. I can't. I, can't. I think bottom line is it's uh, much easier to take clothes off. Than it is to put clothes on, yeah. so I'd rather be hotter than cold. Me too. Yeah. That, that's what I it think. Comes it, down you to. know, I was going to say, in this, it's just an ease thing, largely. Summer, when it's nice out, is yeah. it's such an easier life. And those of us that live in New York, and those that are listening that don't, New York gets hard as it gets long and cold it, and dark. It's and way wet. too much. Pearl, you were going to say something. Will you advocate for winter or something? Oh, I cannot stand the winter. Yeah. I'm definitely, I mean, look at me. I was made to be in the tropics. Oh. So. <laughs> I'm right there. Okay. Tulum. Exactly. Oh, my okay. God. That's my heaven. Yeah. That, uh, well, you know what? Maybe that's why I do like winter. Because then I escaped to Tulum. Well, that's, yeah. Over and over again, all winter. That's long. the beautiful part about the winter time when you live in this part of the, the world. You can escape to warmer climates. Absolutely. Whether it's Mexico or, you know, anywhere, you Florida. Yeah, really. See, that's you, why, go to, you go to Cancun. That's I why I vote yeah. for winter. I would get rid of summer only because I can go so many places to get that summer experience. But the winter, it just, to see the city shut down and get so quiet, I love it. I just love hibernating. I just love the clothing. I love how, Mm-mm. you just, know, I even love showing apartments in the winter. Rachel, I, I don't know. What I, have, what I have to say is, well, exactly, yeah. that's exactly it. I was just going to say, I was like, how do you like doing showings during I the winter? It. I, I hate love it. the boots. I love it all. Yeah. Oh, but with the boots, there are many homeowners. Especially when you're wearing the storm coat because you're getting, mm-hmm. you know. So, right. mm-hmm. But there are many no. homeowners who want you to take your shoes off when you come mm-hmm. in. And yes, if you're wearing you. boots that are up to your, okay. you know, mm-hmm. it's. No better way to see a serious buyer than taking their boots off. Let me tell you. That's true. You want to see who's real, you make them take Rachel's their boots off in the snowstorm. Yeah. That's, That's how probably you know. very true. But you know what? I, or if I, they're out looking at the apartment in the snowstorm in the first place. Yeah. It's a pretty good sign. That's, yeah, true. that's for sure. That's true. That's right. yes. I just like to take, as Jeff said, just take everything off. Of you got nothing going on. <laughs> yeah, right. All right, moving on. If you've got preferential rent, now this is important. That simply means that your landlord is charging you less than your apartment's maximum legal regulated rent. Landlord Landlords might do this if they're having trouble filling apartments or if the market rate for the neighborhood is actually less than what they've legally allowed to charge. Is this ideal? And what happens when your rent renewal comes up? Where, where does it go from there? What's interesting about preferential rent is it weeds out a lot of renters because you're not allowed to take money up front. And I don't know if a lot of people know this. I have a rent-stabilized building in Harlem, and we get, well, we don't have a credit. We don't have Social Security. We'll pay six months up front. We'll pay a year up front. If you're rent-stabilized, you cannot take money up front as an owner. And so that's the downside. The upside is that your increases are smaller. You're below market value, which is really yeah. great. So something that's 2500 normally would be 1900 
And so that's the major upside on on the rent, right, preferential but, but, rent but and rates. But then, when your lease comes up for renewal and mm-hmm. you decide to stay, they can mm-hmm. bring that up to twenty five hundred, or they can make it even higher. Right, but they normally don't. They normally they don't. normally don't. So and you're talking about stabilized now, right? Rent stabilized and particularly preferential rent. Right. And so the owners okay. want a good tenant. They don't want to sit with an empty apartment. So mm-hmm. as long as you're paying on time and you're not having complaints, they're going to stick to below market. Well, they want a, a happy tenant. That's a really good point. It's, it's the most important thing is for the landlord is to keep the apartment occupied, especially if they had to offer an incentive or a preferent to get them into the unit at the onset. That's the most important thing. So they they keep that. So they're not going to jump it up to a above, for example, using the $2,500 example, they would in that max keep it to twenty five. dollars If you're a renter looking to um, getting into a situation where there is a preferent, it's important to have it in writing because sometimes the preferent could be for the for the term, one with a one year, or it could be for longer or the, the life of the, the lease. So it's important if you're in that situation just, so just to read the lease and see if it's actually um, in there and for how long. That's important. Right. And then I think the whole thing with open market is a, another whole conversation. So, and, and renting condominiums from individual yeah. owners. Well, that's so I didn't know if you wanted no, to I'm, get I'm, into that, but I think it, it, most importantly, <coughs> anyone who's operating with an agent to get a seasoned one, and then you really set, you get is you ask for as much as you possibly can. So if you're getting a good deal on your rent, then you try to get a two-year lease at that rate, or you try and, and to. And that was what I was going to ask on, writing, on one of those. Hold rent- on one sec. Sure, sure. You get in writing um, what it is that you the stipulation for mm-hmm. the next year's increase. So a lot of people get excited if about getting can. a cheaper rent, but you know you just want to you want to cover yourself on paper. Can you do that on a rent stabilized apartment? Can you get a two-year Lease if it's well below. Yes, you can. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. But it's important dealt to read the much, lease so. on major capital improvements. So the MCI in the lease normally says that the owner can raise the rent by a certain percentage if there is an MCI. So you definitely Again, for want. Stabilized. Yeah. Yeah. So you want to make sure you read the lease or have an attorney read the lease. Um, don't trust just your broker to read it. You have to read it, make sure everything is, is kosher. But also bear in mind, rent stabilized apartments are not. That numerous. How many times do we get people who say, I want a rent stabilized apartment in this neighborhood? Oh, every and this, New Yorker would everyone, like a rent stabilized apartment. We're talking about it now, yeah. but they are not as common as you may think. You know, what's actually pretty interesting is that when you when you talk about rent stabilized, you don't think that they are as common. Um, a, a little cool thing that you can do is actually go to DHCR, which is downtown. I believe it's on uh, Beaver Street, and you can see what the uh, the real regulated rent of your apartment is. A lot of times, apartments can be stabilized, but they're charging free market. And you got it. In, That's in a those, serious really? thing to bring yeah, up. Yeah, and in those situations, if you find out from DHR what the what the legal rent is that that the apartment can go for, then the landlord would then owe you back all yes. of those uh, those rent payments. Let's just say it's five hundred dollars a month times ten years, whatever that number what is. What a great they can thing! Owe you that. There so are DHCR. So it is yep. illegal to go ahead. Correct. Can we just say something for the landlords out there on yeah. this point? <laughs> Absolutely. So I just want to say, you know, and, and we'll take it out of stabilized or, or rent-controlled apartments to free market apartments because I think that uh, particularly in this environment we're in right now, a lot there are more investors in our market than I've seen in a long time. Mm-hmm. And they're taking, their pro forma is a very low cash-on-cash cash return. Uh, prices are high and rents are also high, but the fact is the cash return is just not that high. I'm going to urge them you know, if you're an absentee owner and you've had a, a broker try and secure a tenant for you, 
Terms are so important. And trying to max out that last dollar may be a very unwise thing to do. So when you have more than one offer in front of you, I'm going to urge, urge uh, the landlords, the new landlords out there to, uh, to look very, very carefully at terms and who they're renting to or leasing the apartment to as opposed to what that final dollar is because you're going to live with those people for a long time. Not only that, but if you get the wrong tenant in, they will get create so much damage and not take care of your place that you will have on the other end of the spectrum. As soon as this tenant moves out, you're going to have a lot of repairs and a lot of things that are going to cost you so much more if you're not picking the right people. That's absolutely right. And I think when you find a good one, you keep them. And I can tell you, I have one property that we've rented for almost 11 years and we've never had a rent increase. And it's because I hope that this tenant stays throughout their entire life in my, uh, you know, in my property. That's absolutely correct. I have the same situation. All right, let's move on. If you're selling or buying a place in New York City, you probably have heard the term, the expression co-broke thrown around a bit. But what does it mean? And how can it help you, the seller, save money? So let's first start with defining co-broking. What is co-broking? You know, again, in New York City, we do things vastly different than any place else in the market, uh, any other market, rather. <laughs> But when we use the term co-broking here in New York, what are we referring to? It basically means sharing listings. We don't have a multiple listing service in MLS like the rest of the country does. So we all share. We are under the umbrella of REBNY, the Real Estate Board of New York, which insists that we share all our listings with other members pretty much immediately. And we do. It's a way of doing business. But the term for it before REBNY came up with this rule was co-broking. And it's sharing listings with another broker. Now, as an owner, you do not pay two commissions. You pay one commission to your listing broker, and they share it with the other broker. And they always and do. And really, I mean, the benefit of this to your question is really it is the only way that this is going to be the fairest representation for the seller. So if there's somebody, if I went in as a broker who said I refuse to co-broke, well, if you know Deborah or Ivy or anybody else had buyers who could potentially come in and offer even a higher amount for this apartment, now this person no longer shows up, they cannot come and buy this up apartment. So it really doesn't open up the market to the largest market share for the seller. So it's really, really important that uh, that a seller uses a broker who is co-broking and opening up as many buyers as possible because it's a simple, you know, if you think about it, it's just a simple thing about economics. I mean, it's that, you know, the higher the demand, the lower the supply, the higher the price that it's going to sell mm-hmm. at. I mean, it's But it's I'm pretty, sure you guys would all agree, too, that there's a, a good percentage of brokers in New York City that are, uh, their intention is to actually sell direct. Well, I wanted to get into that so it, too, oh, without You want to get into we it? No, 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 go ahead. Okay, go. so I mean, it, yeah. it really is a way that a good percentage, remember when I first got in the industry, I was shocked when I would find out like, oh God, this apartment came on the market. I would do everything that I could. It was perfect for my buyer. I couldn't get return calls. I couldn't, there's a good percentage Wait, you know what? of the city that I know brokers that don't That's answer emails, true. that do not answer calls, and they, have a, they sell direct. But you know what, though? That is a very short-sighted thing because this is a really small I industry. Agreed. It is such I a small industry, yes. And um, as a result, a and a lot of us know, though, we know what brokers know will are. function that way. Mm-hmm. And I think that to shortchange the rest of the brokerage community like that in the long run is not going to work in your benefit. It All really right, guys, doesn't. We have to take a break. We will be right back. Don't go away.
the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. Ah! That's definitely another segment. All right, everybody, we are back. Uh, So you may think your apartment is an easy sell. It's in a great building. It has terrific layout. It gets awesome light, and the location is ideal. But if it doesn't look great to the potential buyer, it may not garner the attention or the offers that it deserves. Now, we've talked about this before. We've had a whole show on, on staging. You know, this is where a stager comes in, and this is where it makes sense. I actually was helping somebody, one of my agents, on Friday last week doing just this. These talented interior designers adapt the decor of space to create more visually appealing places and make it more sale-worthy. Okay, so the, the, the first thing that comes to mind is declutter and organize. So sometimes, you know, you're, you're dealing with a seller. They don't have to stage, meaning they don't have to bring in furniture, but what they have in their apartment is way too much. So what is this all about? And have any of you been in the situation where you've had to tell a seller, and sometimes not so easy? I don't know. Have we been? <laughs> Trust me, I have been there multiple yeah, times. Yeah, almost every time. Oh, my God. Almost every time, because yeah. on camera and people- It's such a religious thing, though. It's like, yeah. I can't put this away. I still want to live in my apartment. We're going to be here for X amount more months until we sell. I have children, the dog. What do we do? What happens? You, you I mean, because we, honesty, we, it's our responsibility. I think that most of us end up, I mean, obviously we get them to declutter, but I end up going to the open house about 30, 45 minutes ahead of time. I literally am shoving the toaster and the blender, so everything under the sink. I'm wiping things down. I'm yeah. turning, like lighting candles. Because really, I think people underestimate that it's we don't just open doors and we aren't just psychotherapists. You know, I mean, we really have to work with the psyche of people. But above and beyond that, it's the, the unspoken things, the things of just what was the experience like when you were in the apartment, things that don't even register for the seller. What did the apartment smell like? You know, you come in and there's music yeah. on and it smells great and there's some flowers on the table. They might say, oh, she's really trying to sell the apartment. Doesn't matter. The fact of the matter well, you is you came in. Yeah, that's the goal. Absolutely. That is the, the goal. That is the goal. 
Yeah, yeah. and the fact of the matter is you're still going to go come in there and f- feel much more at home and at ease and experience something that is better and different than the five other apartments you just saw. Yeah. That's really going to be I think one of the primary things also is the term is neutrality. I think yes. it's really important for people. Absolutely. Well, no clue what people like, yeah. but if things are relatively neutral, you're just on a, you're on ground and zero. And depersonalize. I think it's important yes. to yeah. depersonalize. You know, you don't want important. people so you walking go early. in yep. to see mm-hmm. family pictures. And yeah. because what happens when people come into apartments, they go right to the pictures and they, oh, who is that? You know, what is that all about? You know, it takes the focus away for the yeah. real reason that, that they are, and that's to look at the bones and the scale of the size of the apartment. That's what I meant by neutral. Uh, the the yeah. message, I think this is tough. For, for a seller, because it, 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 this is basic psychology. So I think the message to the seller's got to be, listen, we don't want people to come in and experience your life in this apartment. Mm-hmm. Right? We want people well to said. come in yep. and well fantasize said. about their life right. in this Better apartment. Said. Absolutely. So I think when you put in those terms, it's kind of easy to understand, oh, I've got to get out of the way yeah. of right. this. And also, to, to that point, um, if all else fails, the one thing I do do is I say to the, the prospective buyer, imagine where your couch would go. Imagine where you would put, how would you decorate this place? And I actually have a conversation about that because then what you're doing is you're creating exactly that psychological aspect of them thinking about their life in that space. And that's when it really starts clicking for them. And if none of that works as a last ditch effort, which I had to do two years ago, I sat down on the couch with the seller and I said, look around. You have some wonderful things here, but you have way too much. And I know you love them. You're moving anyway. It's time to take each piece, look at it lovingly, pack well, it in bubble wrap, and yeah. then and, and, and put it away because it's, it's, you're already starting to pack. In addition, is all this stuff, which I know you love, worth $200,000? Deb, the next time you're having these conversations, can we please come come and sit next to you and watch you do it? I think you're phenomenal <laughs> at these moments. Well, no, bubble wrap is absolutely. the best part. But you have to say, is it worth $200,000? Because you're going to get that much less. If you if you don't move it, but you, you have to attach money to conversations like this because yes. sellers don't necessarily understand how it can adversely affect their gain or their profit or just getting the, the asking price. Uh, but at the same time, I don't think that sellers understand that they pay for the staging. So if we're talking uh-huh. about there's two types there's two types of staging. There's the twenty thousand to a hundred thousand dollars worth of staging, and then there's virtual staging done by the broker. And so a lot of times we all just do it ourselves, and we're saying take the picture frames down from the shelves, you know, put some flowers on a table, yeah. just remove a few pieces, yeah. paint the walls white, not purple. These are things that we do most of the time, but occasionally you do need as a seller to invest a lot of money into staging if the apartment is empty. I, as I mentioned a bit ago, I was helping one of my agents uh, stage an apartment mm-hmm. aloft mm-hmm. Uh, down in Chelsea. Beautiful space, big open space. She had it minimally done. It was on the market for a couple of months and it just wasn't selling at the asking price. And so I kind of went down and checked it out and I saw things that I would not want to have. So we we discussed staging with her. Long, long story short, we took all her stuff out and brought in staged furniture. And she was kind of there that day watching us do this on Friday. And she looked at me at one point and she said, well, uh, I just don't think I could live with this. I, this is not my style. This is not my furniture. And I can't do this. And I said, 
Well, you're going to have to. Not for long. It's not, not your furniture for long. Yeah. If I, we sell it, because we will. I said, this is going to help you sell this for the price you want. Yeah. And, you know, everything in real estate is a sacrifice, and everything in real estate takes time sometimes, but mm-hmm. this is going to push this train down the tracks. And she mm-hmm. got it, and she, you know, said, fine, whatever. And, and at the end, she <laughs> had to mention it to me again. I just really don't know that I'm going to be able to live with this. Well, Ian, to your point, and though, I'm like, Vince, well, yeah. you know, what can I tell you? You know. Well, no, but can you live with it for two months if it means $30,000? Well, if it means $75,000, right? And right. that really, to bring in that monetary value at that point is really key. And where did she put her stuff? Did you have her put it in storage? Yes. Yeah? Yeah, definitely. Well, congratulations uh, you for even making it happen. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's, believe yes. me. It's not easy. Tough. All right, we, we're running out of time, but I just wanted to mention a few other things. Repainting always helps scale your furniture to your space. The size of furniture in a room makes all the difference. I can't tell you mm-hmm. how many times I go into apartments and the sofa is half the room. It just doesn't work. So. Keep all these things in mind. Divide an open layout by creating areas. You don't want to have any alcoves or nooks and crannies in an apartment that is empty. Even if it's a, a table with a lamp, a chair, something, a table with a candle on it, don't keep empty spaces. Show off windows and light. I mean, if you have good exposure, show it off. How many times do you go into a southern exposed you know, apartment and they have the, the, the curtains drawn uh. because they don't want all the light coming in? Well, you know what? If you're showing off an apartment... Open the drapes. Yeah, put a mirror up every now and then. Put a mirror Mirror, up. Yeah. Add a splash (laughs) of color. Accent walls are back again. They've been back for a long time. Add a splash of color. Increase the perception of space. Add one exceptional piece of art if you don't have anything. And furnish in neutral tones, Mm -hmm. as Ivy mentioned before. So all of these things, you know, really do make a difference. It does cost the seller um, some dollars. uh, But again, money invested like that, in my opinion, uh, is only going to turn around and give you the profit or the the selling price that you're looking for. So these are very important things. You know, these conversations are never easy with sellers. I have them um, fairly regularly because almost every listing we look at uh, has something wrong. I mean, you know, people can't live perfectly, but there's always something that needs to be tweaked. And sometimes you need to recreate from scratch. I mean, I've literally moved an entire apartment of everything out and put everything in. (laughs) <laughs> that was a big toll order, but guess what? You know, it was an aggressive sale, and they got their asking price. Uh, yeah, they got their asking price, and it was worth it. And it didn't take long. So you got to appeal to you know the seller on a level that says, "Hey, you got to invest money to make money, and you've got to do it now." And painting, you know, a lot of people think I'm just going to move in some furniture and call it a day. No, uh-uh. It's about the wall colors. It's I, listen. This apartment that I saw last week. There's a big dog in the apartment chewing all the woodwork on the baseboards. And I said, well, you know, can we paint that? Mm, no. I thought, okay. So here with the designer pushing furniture in front of chip walls or, or woodwork because you can't walk into a th- Come on. almost $4 million lot. <laughs> Skipping on, the, on painting a baseboard? Not I... painting the baseboard. Oh, man. Not painting anything. Wow. <laughs> anyway, That's going to be a fun uh, sale, Vince. Uh yeah well, <laughs> as hey, everything else in real estate, right? You got right. it. This is what we do. Yeah. This is this is what we do exactly. Uh, okay, we're out of time. Uh, that is Good Morning New York for this week. Thank you for joining us. You can catch the show anytime on podcast or on our website, voiceamerica.com. For all of us at Voice America all around the world, thanks for joining us, and we will see you next time. Goodbye, Ciao. everybody. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in this week. 
Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. It's staff and management. Hi, I'm John Rainey, Chief Financial Officer of United Airlines, and I'm honored to be the National Chair for the 2015 March for Babies campaign for the March of Dimes. United is a proud supporter of the March of Dimes mission to improve the health of babies and fight premature birth. We're helping the March of Dimes fund breakthroughs in research and community programs that help more mothers have full-term pregnancies and healthy babies. Please join us in working together for stronger, healthier babies. Visit marchofdimes.org. The Voice America Live Events page is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Hi, I'm Sam Nussbaum, WellPoint's Chief Medical Officer. We proudly support the March of Dimes mission to improve the health of babies and fight premature birth. We're helping the March of Dimes fund breakthroughs in research and community programs that help more moms have full-term pregnancies and healthy babies. Join us in working together to provide children with a healthier start in life. Visit marchofdimes.org. Emotional intelligence has been documented to be the most important skill for a leader to move up in an organization. Leaders Playbook will unpack what emotional intelligence is, why it is important, and how you can raise your emotional intelligence for yourself, your direct reports, and your team. Join Dr. Relly Nadler every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern, to the Leaders Playbook on the Voice America Business Channel. Your success, your success could depend on it. If you have a loved one that is undergoing treatment for substance abuse or mental illness, you owe it to them and yourself to tune in to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. This compassionate and educational talk show will help you help those that you love by better understanding their condition and their personal recovery process. Tune in every Monday at 12 noon Pacific time to One Hour at a Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Recovery begins this hour. 
We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. Drawing on resources from wellness communities throughout America and abroad, the show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. Join host Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. 